Welcome to Living the Word Today, brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is to not only understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. to uh, talk to you about the gift of love. This is my intention to share with you two weeks ago, uh, but uh, I thought earlier in the, in, you know, a few months, a few weeks ago probably, I was thinking Christmas is coming up, and you always think, well, what can you say about Christmas that hadn't been said, you know, hundreds of times? But like everything else in the Word, once you start digging, you just keep learning and keep, keep finding out more and more. So, but my, my thought was I wanted to kind of delve into intention and motivation. You know, we know the story of the angels, we know the wise men and all that, and not that we would want to neglect any of those elements of the the Christmas story, the narrative portion, but that we also want to look into his heart, and what one of us can know God's heart except for what he's revealed to us in the pages of scripture. And we want to just talk about that in, in our time together this morning. And 
One of the things that I want to share with you this morning, we're going to cover a number of scriptures, cover a lot of territory today. And uh, we're going to talk about the finished gift of love. One of the things that pushes God on is he wants to finish and he will finish what he starts. You and I probably have in our record a few things that we started and then we finished. That feels good. We probably have a few things in our life that we started. Then we realize that we can't do it. It just it's, it's not going to get done for whatever circumstances. Then we have a few things in our lives that we started and we just won't. <laughs> and that sometimes causes a little friction. But, uh, but whatever God intends, whatever he declares, he is going to finish. And we start with this idea. The gift of love is motivated by God's intention to finish the work of salvation of his children. What he starts, he's going to finish. And it is, it's, the, it's the grand theme that runs all the way through the pages of Scripture. It runs all the way through the, the eons of history and beyond that God wants to save people like us. And we're left with like, wow, why? That's amazing because we know that we have willfully violated his law, his commandments. We stand guilty before God. We are, we are, we are deserving of judgment. But along the way, God declares to us his intent to, to bring us into a right relationship with himself. I want to take you, first of all, to Ephesians chapter 1, to a verse that is going to take us way back in time, or actually I should say way back before time, where God makes an amazing statement about his intention. And we're going to look at Ephesians 1, 4. Also, I know since we're doing a little bit of jumping around, I'm going to put uh, some of these verses, actually all these verses on the screen for you, so whatever is most convenient for you. But in writing to his letter to the book of Ephesians, we studied this about a year or so ago. We spent some weeks going verse by verse, line by line through Ephesians. But in verse 4, we see this of chapter 1. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, you look at that last little package at the end of the verse, that we would be holy. I don't feel very holy, do you? I mean, I know me. In fact, God knows us as well. When, when John wrote his first letter, the first, the first epistle of 1 John, he wrote, he says, if anyone, including us as believers, if anyone says he has no sin, he is a liar and the truth isn't in him. So we, we, we are not holy, but his intention is that we would be holy in him and without blame. And notice it says before him, in his presence, before his presence, in this, this loving relationship. That was his intention. Now notice when this was declared, before the foundation of the world. Well, the foundation of the world goes back to creation. Before he created the world, before there was a world, before there was space, sun, moon, stars, before there was any life on this planet, of animal life, and before there was any human life, before all that began. His intention at the get-go, beginning, before the foundation of the world, was that we would be holy and without blame before him in love. This has always been his intention. Finishing our salvation has been his stated intention for all times. So when man falls into sin and we need a savior and all that, that did not take God by surprise. It was all part of the plan. Now, back in 1999, a film was released. And some of you probably think it's the greatest film others ever. And some of you think you do not care. But it was a film called The Matrix. It was a science fiction film. And the premise of the movie was that, in science fiction, okay, was that the humans had been enslaved by machines. And all the humans that were living were plugged into this computer. I guess that is The Matrix, I guess. And so what people were experiencing wasn't real. It was a computer simulation in their minds. 
and that was the plot. And I think there's been two sequels so far, and I think there's another one coming out later this month, and I make plans to miss it. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but that philosophical thought, I've heard it. It's been batted, it's been batted around by some philosophers. Like, what if this is all just some sort of simulation and not real? Now, I don't buy any of that because my baseline is the scriptures and what it says. But you could see how people could get to that conclusion because even if you're just a, a, a keen observer of life, things seem to happen not only by chance. It seems like there's some direction, there's some purpose, there's some flow, there's some, there's some thought behind it. And the conclusion of some people is, well, it's just all, we're all living in a computer simulation. When reality is, we're living in an environment that has God's intentionality programmed into it. And the major thing that God has programmed into his intention is that rebels like us, sinners like us, will be presented before his presence without blame, in holiness, and with him in love, before him in love. Isn't that good? So I want, to, I, want to, I want to tell you how I want to apply this today. We've got a few more steps to take. But we live in a world that it seems, and I guess this is always the case, but maybe sometimes we feel it with a little more intensity. It seems like there's, as we flow through life, there's always a little stream of unease. Maybe it's an unease of, of, of our own discontent or our own failures, or maybe it's a, a flow of discontent because we're, you know, we're afraid of, of disease and we're we're faced with our own mortality. We're, afraid, we're, we're this, this, this unease by what's going on in the world around us. We just feel a little unease. And I, I kind of detect that as a, a sort of a mood of people. We're, we're living by faith. We're trusting the Lord. But there's this little bit of unease out there. Well, I want to suggest to you, and we're going to see this all through, this, through the text we look at today. When you think about the past, when you think about the past, make sure you insert into that space of thinking the faithfulness of God. What God promised before the, declared to be his intent before the foundation of the world, he has been faithful to bring that forward. And we also know living where we live through the time of Christ that he was born of a virgin. He was laid in a manger. He was raised. He did live a sinless life. And he went to the cross to be our savior. God's faithfulness. And in the present, we think about the present, our current reality, I want you to put in there God's providence that God provides for you. God is able. He's here. He's able to do whatever it is that we need to serve him and to experience life as he intended. And when you think about the future, which sometimes is scary, that's where you insert the promises of God. Think about his faithfulness in the past, his providence in the future, and the promises of God yet in the present and in the future going forward. We'll talk more about that, and I don't have that on the screen anywhere. You're just going to have to get those three concepts in, and I'll repeat them enough that I think you'll, you'll walk away with them. Let's, let's take another trip a little bit further down. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, further back in the Bible, but further forward in history. Third chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. You know this passage, so I will just summarize quickly. Chapter 1 and 2 is the creation of everything, the creation of man. Adam and Eve are put in this paradise, this perfect environment called the Garden of Eden. And uh, they are there. They have everything they need. They can eat of all the fruit of the garden. They have this perfect environment. God fellowships with them, apparently. Only one rule. We might think, boy, that would be nice. Just one rule to remember. One tree, don't eat of that tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Well, in chapter 3, Satan shows up in the form of the servant. We know from other scriptures that this was Satan working through this means. And he tempts Eve. She succumbs to that temptation. So does Adam. They fall into sin. They violated God's standards. Sin passes upon the whole race. That includes us. And you recall that immediately they're struck by their shame. They want to cover themselves. They want to hide themselves because they feel shame for, for in, in the presence of a holy God. And then God shows up and he addresses this situation. And I just want to look at verse 15 of chapter 3 where God says something to the serpent, in essence, to Satan himself. Verse 15, chapter 3, Genesis. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, that part about enmity means being an enemy with each other. It means conflict. So basically the descendants of Eve going forward are going to be in conflict with Satan and all that he's seeking to accomplish. You want to know what's wrong with the world? You can find it in Genesis 3.15. You find it in Genesis 3. That's what's wrong. Sin has just messed everything up. Later, God curses the ground and, and, every, and everything changes. Relationship changes. The environment changes and so forth. And it's a difficult world. He says, notice though, he says in this, this text, and between your seed and her seed. Notice that it is gender specific. It is not the seed of man. It is the seed of woman. Because this is a messianic prophecy of Christ. It is only through the seed of woman that this one that he's going to mention is going to come. Because Jesus was born of an earthly mother, but not of an earthly father, because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So already we have this, we know it looking back, but, I don't, but we have this hint that this is something special, someone special. And this is going to be the result. And this is this, you shall bruise, excuse me, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, this is kind of a weird thing to think about. But if I said, uh, you're going to be struck with a club, would you rather have it struck, would you rather have your heel struck or your head struck? Well, you say, I'd rather have nothing struck, okay? But this, this is just imaginative, okay? Because if you get struck in your heel, you might be disabled. That, that might be, create a disability. You get struck in the head, it might create a fatality, right? We understand that. And that's the contrast that he's using. The, the seed of the serpent, in essence, his intention is going to strike at God's program, ultimately the crucifixion, but you also understand that that was remedied by the resurrection. Not permanent, not fatal ultimately. But the, ble- the blow through the resurrection crucifixion event of him finishing this work would deal a fatal blow ultimately to Satan. And you think of a snake. If you want to kill a snake, are you going to crush its head or its tail? Are you going to go for the head? And that's, that's what he says. That's the, that's the target. So this tells us that finishing our salvation has been his intention in Christ all along. His intention in Christ is to, to bring us to this place of completion in our salvation. And here you're three chapters in and he's already talking about it. By the way, this goes all the way. You can just keep going through all the 66 books of the Bible, and you can see Christ really everywhere, and you can see in the culmination of all things. His intention is he's going to finish what he started. And this is for you. What he started, the salvation, he's going to finish it into the ultimate reality of all that that requires. Now I want to take you a little closer to the Christmas story. I want you to go to Luke chapter 1, and you can get prepositioned there. And we're going to look at a little phrase of, again, there's a lot of prophecy in Luke chapter 1, by the way. This prophecy is going to be seeing what God is doing. Now, Genesis 3 is 
future tense prophecy, past tense in its stated, future tense in its intention, and then we're going to move into kind of into the, the present. Remember our words now. Don't forget. When you think about the past, God's faithfulness. When you think about the present, God's providence. When you think about the future, God's promises. So let's see what happens here. And this, this, by the way, several things happen. There's actually two stories intertwined in Luke chapter 1. It begins with the story of a man named Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth, whom we know better as the mother and the father of John the Baptist. They were both well past childbearing years, and uh, Elizabeth had had no children. And uh, an angel shows up in the temple, well, in the holy place of the temple, while Zacharias is at the altar of incense and tells them, you're going to have, she's going to bear a son and so forth and, and some about his ministry. He has some doubts and uh, here's the sign. He asks for a sign. The sign is you're going to be not able to speak. And so the baby is born and nine months later he's unable to speak. Well, it transpires that she is with child and this miraculously conceived child is on the way. And then later in chapter one, an angel shows up with Mary and tells her not you're going to have a miraculous conception, you're going to have a conception unlike any other, that you are going to be overcome by the Spirit of God, and the one that's born of you will be called the Son of God, and he's going to sit on the throne of his father David, and so forth. And Mary's just flabbergasted by this, but the angel gives her this word of encouragement. It says, how about your relative Elizabeth? It's now the sixth month with her who was called barren. So Mary packs up, goes down to Judea, and spend some time with Elizabeth. Probably she spent from six to nine months of Elizabeth's pregnancy there. She was probably still there when John the Baptist was born. Not, we don't know that absolutely, but it seems likely from what we can gather from the text. So when Mary shows up with Elizabeth, Elizabeth's now carrying John the Baptist six months in her womb. Mary is carrying Jesus in her womb. John leaps within her womb. The first human to recognize the presence of divinity among us in the form of the incarnate Christ, was an unborn baby. And then this child speaks in that way, and then, then uh, Elizabeth prophesies, then Mary prophesies, and later after the baby is born, Zacharias prophesies after his tongue is, is loosed. And it says in verse 68, I'm going to read verse, uh, yeah, verse 68 through 70, speaking this prophecy, Zacharias writes or speaks, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has, re- he has visited... And redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. Notice how he ties a lot of things together. Before the world began, the prophets, now in real time it's here. It's a horn of salvation yet future for God's people. He covers the past, the present, and the future. A couple of observations. Notice he says, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who has visited God showed up. God didn't send an emissary. God himself comes in the form of Christ. And to redeem his people, that would require a blood sacrifice. We'll see that later. And he said, the part that kind of escapes us is some of the the cultural reference to the metaphor of the time. He raised up a horn of salvation. What does that mean? Well, in their view, a horn, an animal that had horns, that's where their strength was. That was sort of their glory. That was their strength. So a horn became a metaphor for something strong. So God has raised up someone strong to be that one who is going to to be the salvation for us. And it's going to come in the right prophetic form from the house of David, tribe of Judah, but house of David. 
because fulfilling that messianic promise, as he spoke by his holy prophets. So here we see he's, this, this finishing our salvation has always been Jesus' intention coming into this world. This is what it was all about. This is, this is why he came. And to finish it, not to start it, not to further it, but to finish it. And that's what he does for us. I want you to think with me. We talked about in the past, think about faithfulness. I want you, first of all, to calculate quickly in your own mind how old you are. That should not be hard. (laughs) Even if some of you do not admit it publicly, it should not be hard in your own mind. And whatever number of years you've come up with, that's a record of God's faithfulness from the time you became you until now. We're still here. That's God's faithfulness. The fact that we're here in church, the fact that we have some a connection to, to each other in this family of God, and we have a connection to God through Christ, God's faithfulness. We live in a world where he meets our needs. That's the current now, faithfulness to this point, and now in the current we have his providence. If you have shelter and food and clothing and a means of support and, and people to help you and, and you can be of help to other people, that's, that's his providence. Be thankful for that. And especially we who live here in America. We live here in America. You know, you just you want to do your Christmas shopping, you just pull out your phone, go toot, 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 and someone brings it to your door. You have to have a credit card in the meantime, but you understand that. <laughs> we live in a world where we, you know, we complain about things. My wireless connection in the house is not as fast as it should be. We call those first world problems. You know, and there's people in the world that don't know where the next meal's coming from. And we're worried about stuff like this. We are, we are, we are spoiled. We're blessed. See those places of, of providence and be thankful. And then think about the future. Find some promise to hang on to. Uh, really, Zacharias has all three in view in this statement he makes. Find some promise. A promise you can hang on to. Um, years back, I went to visit a man in the hospital. He had cancer. It was very obvious. Unless God intervened, he was dying. And... Uh, I just, we were just talking about, you know, I'm trying to be an encouragement to him. And he says, says you know, Pastor, my favorite one I hang on to is Psalm 23. And he, said, he looked at me and said, that's a good one. And I agreed, yes, that is a good one. And if you'll let me just overlay some of my thoughts on that beautiful psalm that you know so well. It's simply this. In the, in, in, in the past, the Lord is my shepherd. He's always been there. In the present, he makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters anoints my head with oil, restores my soul. He provides. But then that psalm ends with promise. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. From this point, however many days I have left, I'm going to be pursued by goodness and mercy. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a great truth. Maybe that's the psalm you want to plug into. Maybe you find something else. But find something. to When, when the unease of life is, when that, when that stream is flowing and gushing and gurgling and splashing, look back, find faithfulness. In the present, you find his providence. In the future, hang on to his promises. Zechariah did. And the promise was of the Savior who would enter the world. I want to take you, and you're very close if you're in Luke chapter 1. I want to go to Luke chapter 2. And I want you to see the first recorded words of Jesus Christ after his, his incarnation. Now, he obviously would have said other words because he's 12 years of age at this point. But these are the first words that God saw fit and we have recorded of what he would say. 
The story is very familiar. Jesus is 12 years old. They've taken him to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. Interesting, the backdrop of this is Lamb of God, shed blood, judgment being passed over. That's the background picture. And they've been there. They head back to Nazareth. They've traveled a day's journey, and they realize Jesus was still back in Jerusalem. That would be embarrassing, wouldn't it, and troubling. They go back. They're looking for him. I'm going to read verse 48, then we'll get to our verse 49 here in just a moment. 48, it says, So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And here's the first words that Jesus speaks, recorded in Scripture after the incarnation. Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? It must be about my father's business. Well, what was his father's business? We're talking about Passover, lamb shed. And you remember his relative by the name of John the Baptist that we just encountered in our thoughts a few moments ago. Remember he declared when he saw Jesus coming to the Jordan River, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. It required shed blood, which was shed on the cross to prove that he was who he was and to finish the whole work of redemption. Three days later, he was raised by the power of God back to life and he lives forevermore. And that provides for us this gift of salvation. Have you received your gift? Or is it still sitting there waiting as it's been waiting from eternity past? If you're here this morning and never trusted Christ as your Savior, I'd just simply say this. We'd love to lead you to the Savior if we could help you in that. I'll be here at the front. Other pastors will be around. Maybe come with a relative or a Christian friend that could have the same conversation with you. We just want to go over the gospel with you, what it means to be saved. Answer your questions if you have any. Pray with you and lead you to just to that point where you put your faith in him and then that gift becomes available to you. It was God's intention to save. And that, that invitation awaits for you. Believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, his father's business was to finish the work of salvation. It's been the intention of Christ. Finishing that work has, has been Jesus' intention personally. It's been, that, that has been accomplished through what he, he did on the cross. And it's for you. And when the unease of life comes flowing through, Look back at his faithfulness. Jesus didn't turn back halfway up Calvary's hill. He went all the way. He was willing to do his father's business from the moment he entered this earthly experience and beyond to save us. In the present, we have the provision. A God who loved us enough to save us is a God enough to take care of us today, whatever that means. And the promises of God that brought Christ to this world to be our Savior is the same promises that leads us on that we're going to be okay. To lead us from here to where we're standing on the edge of death's door and step over into the other side. The promises of God. Now I want to take you to the last words of Jesus before his death on the cross. And I want to take you to Luke chapter 19, or excuse me, John chapter 19 and verse 30. You know this very well. You've, you're familiar with this. We're talking about finishing. We're talking about he was motivated to finish this work that, that is, was revealed as an intention before the foundation of the world. It was stated when God dealt with the reality of sin in this world, when Christ entered this world, when Christ began to speak into this world, when Christ went to the cross. 
And in verse 30 of John 19, he said these words. So when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. It's finished. It's done. It's complete. Everything that is necessary for our salvation is there. When you look back, that is a record of faithfulness. When he said it is finished. That's a record of faithfulness. And it's a record that we can overlay in Scripture and then we can overlay our own record of experiences of God and His faithfulness. There's times He's answered prayer. The times when He's given strength. The time that He gave you the ability to withstand severe temptation. When He's caused you and helped you to grow. Let you serve in ways you never thought you could. That's a record of faithfulness. And in the present, He's always with us. He's always with us. It's a strange place to find a quote of the Lord Jesus that does not appear anywhere else in Scripture. But in Hebrews chapter 13, there's a quote of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews records it. It says, For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So whatever this day is about, he's in it. He's here. He's available. His providence is available to you. And let that promise then take you into the future. From here and however many days we have left, we get to the threshold of death. He's not going to leave you at those last closing moments. And when you step over into the other side, we'll never be out of his presence. So when we have those moments of unease, faithfulness, providence, promise, Jesus said it's finished. What prompted what caused him to send his son he wanted to finish the work that he intended all along praise be to him thank you for joining us for living the word today we appreciate your sharing in this study of the scriptures and thanks too for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the word today we would love to have your feedback and to hear from you and the best way to contact us is through our website livingthewordtoday.com Until next time, may His blessing be yours.